Good morning, everyone. So I thought that this would be a really great place to start today. At the end of chapter 11 in the book of Romans, there is a moment of praise in in this section. It's kind of sudden. There's this big discussion about Israel, and then all of a sudden there's this small moment of praise. The NIV version labels this as as a doxology. As, as a type of praise. You know, like, praise God from whom all blessings flow. So it's kind of like that, but just different, obviously. And it seemed like a really great way to begin this time together. And it's also going to be on the screen, but this is Romans chapter 11, verse 33 through 36. This is what it says. And you guys can just, we're just going to listen. You guys can read, but we're going to kind of just... This is a moment of praise that Paul writes in this sudden moment because he just feels this big urge to just praise God in the middle of this letter. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, open our ears to the voice that you have for us today. Open our ears, open our minds and our hearts to the word that you have. Help us listen, help us focus, help us meditate, help us take home something so that we can go on into this world. Forgive us when we hear the messages, when we hear the words and we just kind of forget the next day or we just kind of go through the week just waiting for the next Sunday to come around. Forgive us for when we forget how important it is to listen to your voice because you speak to us every day and you speak to us through your word. And we ask you, Spirit, to guide us and to counsel us in this moment, to help us listen and take to heart what you have, to help us remember and be able to remember throughout the week, throughout our lives, the different things that you have for us on the way that you call us to live. When things are difficult, when there is temptation, when there are things that get in our way, that we will remember that it is by your spirit, it is by your mercy and your grace that we can say, I choose you every day. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Now, you might have guessed it, you know, you might have guessed it already, but today we're going to be in the book of Romans, the book of Romans. Now, the book of Romans is a really good book, but we're not going to be in this part of the book of Romans. We're going to be just a little later. But first off, let's talk about the book of Romans. Now, the book of Romans was a letter to the Romans. It was a letter to the church in Rome. And the one who is writing this letter is the Apostle Paul. Now, if you don't know the Apostle Paul, or if you do know, you know, you're a big fan of his. He's a pretty amazing disciple of Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul wasn't always a disciple of Jesus. The Apostle Paul was a pretty rough guy at the beginning. He was a Jew. He grew up a Jew. He's, you know, he was a Jew all his life. But he was a very zealous Jew is the way he explains himself. He was educated. He was a teacher. He knew everything. And he was so zealous for God and and for the law that he thought the best way to live out this life is by persecuting those who went against it. 
specifically Christians, because he hated Jesus. He hated the ideas that these Christians were holding. He thought that they were rebelling against God, rebelling against the law. And so he did everything that he could to stop them. But he has an encounter with Jesus on a road. And on this road, Jesus comes to him, you know, the blinding light. And Paul ends up coming to know Christ himself. He comes to accept Jesus and, and follow Jesus. And he goes off and his mission is to go out and preach the gospel, just like all disciples. And the really cool thing is that this guy was such a zealous Jew, a big guy to be, to live as a Jew, live, follow the law. But he was called to go and preach to the non-Jews. The ones who needed to hear the goodness of God, the law of God, to hear all of this stuff. And so he ends up writing most of the New Testament. A lot of his New Testament writings are letters to different churches. And at this moment that he's writing the book of Romans, he is in his third missionary journey. In his third missionary journey, and he is currently in the city of Corinth. He's not in Rome. He's not close to Rome. He's actually like far, far away from Rome. Um, I have a map on there, but I don't know if it'll, it might pop up, but if it does, that's great. If it doesn't, okay. So he's kind of far away from Rome. There it is. So he is writing this letter to the church of Rome and Rome is all the way up there, right? Corinth is over here, Achaia down there. You can see Corinth. So he's pretty far away from Rome. But he loves this church in Rome. He hopes to one day go and see Rome for himself too. But, you know, things happen. He knows that he might not be able to make it because right now he's planning to go to Jerusalem so that he could go and give some offering that they churches had collected for different churches for the ministry of God. So Paul hasn't gotten to go to Rome even though he wants to. But during this time, he writes this letter to the church in Rome. He hasn't been to Rome yet. He is hoping to. But he also tells us his reason why he's writing. Because it seems obvious that there's a church in Rome. So there's Christians in Rome. There's already a church settled. No one really knows. There's different ideas on how the church was settled. But no one really knows why or how, you know, who started the church in Rome. The biggest popular one is Peter, that Peter started it. But there's different ideas going around on who actually did So he focuses in on them in this letter and he, what he wants to do is he tells us at the beginning of the book that he wants to advance the gospel with them. He knows that there's a lot of non-Jews in Rome. He wants to help them bring people to Christ, the Jews and the non-Jews, the Gentiles. And he writes this incredible letter to them. And Romans is an amazing book that we get to have today too. And it's filled with so many concepts, man, Paul fills this book up with so much information. It's amazing. He begins the book with a type of apologetics, you know, defense of the faith with talking about how people had fallen from God. People began to turn to evil things and God let them go. But creation shows who God is, shows that there is a God. But because people turn away because of sin, they reject this proof, this evidence of God's existence kind of thing. And he continues on. He talks about the salvation road that we love talking about a lot, too. He goes in and then he even goes into the specifics of our relationships with God and with others and the way we're supposed to live out our lives. So this book is just filled with so much stuff. And our focus for today is going to be one of the sections. It's chapter 12. And Pastor Kent mentioned this this passage uh, last week. But we're going to kind of go in a little deeper. 
And in this section, Paul is giving a specific and practical way of living a Christian life. This section goes from chapter 12 all the way to chapter 13. This is a whole section that Paul is describing. This is how you live a Christian life. This is how you live to God, towards God, to the church, to others, to non-Christians, to your neighbor, to the people you hate. This is the way you're supposed to live a Christian life. He's very specific. And this part that we're not going to read the entire, you know, all of the chapters. We won't have enough time. There's a whole lot of information. I'll keep you the entire week with all the information that there could be in this section. We won't be reading the whole thing, but to continue on with this, with this idea that we've been talking about the past few weeks at Oakton, there's been a lot of talk about what it means to love in action. There's been a lot of talk about how we are called to love God and love others and how we're supposed to love God and how we're supposed to love others. But I thought this was, would be a really great opportunity to talk about the way we're able to love God and others. Because it begins with something. We're all able to do things for others. We're all able to do things for God that look like love. But how are we able to genuinely love God and others? And so, how I mentioned earlier, Pastor Kent had mentioned this chapter 12 last week. But we're going to go in deeper together on these two, just two verses that have a whole lot of stuff for us. And this is the beginning of this section of Romans. Paul gives the Romans three broad principles on how they're supposed to govern their own Christian lives. This is the way you're supposed to. This is kind of a broad. And then he continues on with the specifics afterwards. But we're going to start on here. So we're going to read Romans 12, 1 through 2 together. And this is what it, what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So why is Paul kind of starting this off? Well, first, we have a little hint. The first, we, we have to figure out. That this is one of the things, if you ever heard me preach already before, I always mention this, how I really love the background information. I love the context information to help us understand better of what passage we're in. Because like I mentioned, Romans has a ton of information available for us. And because we're only using these two verses, we need to figure out why they're here. So verse 1 starts it off and okay so verse one starts it off but you can read it in your own bibles too if you have your bibles it says therefore therefore so usually um oh not this slide yet sorry (laughs) we're gonna go just to the main part so therefore Now, this is a really fun kind of, you know, deal that a really great rule to have when you're reading scripture. When the New Testament was written, there weren't chapters, there weren't verses. The Greek just flowed right in because they were trying to fit as much words as they could into the letter to make sure that they had all that they could to send it out because it was expensive to buy that type of paper. So this is a really great rule for you to have whenever you're reading and studying the Bible. Whenever you see the word therefore, anytime you see the word therefore, 
you need to stop and ask yourself, why is it there for? Get it? So why is it there for? So we're going to figure out why therefore is there for. Now, in chapter 11, Paul has been explaining this really cool work that God has done in Israel in the past, in the present, and in the future. He's making this really big point that to the readers, to, to this Roman church, that God's purpose has been from the very beginning to provide salvation for all. To provide a way to restore the broken relationship that sin caused. So that way they could open the door and that they could accept Jesus and they could accept Christ as the Messiah. That he opened this door for for the purpose of salvation, for all to come to him and accept this gift. This gift of grace, this gift of mercy. But Israel throughout the years, they constantly looked back. And not only that, but whenever Christ did come, the one that they were waiting for, they didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah. They rejected him. They wanted to crucify him instead. And so he kind of reminds them, you know, you, this, the Jews, they, they had it. They were the special ones. They were the elect. They were given the promises for years of the Messiah who was going to come. They knew what they were supposed to be looking for, but they missed it. They missed it. But the great thing is that now those who are non-Jews, they continue on this work. They not only get to receive Christ as the Messiah, they accepted him without having all of this information the Jews had. But it was only because of God's mercy that they received this gift. It was only because of God's mercy that the Jews now who had rejected Christ can still come to Christ. They still have the opportunity. So go in chapter 11, he's going through this huge thing of what God's mercy means for us, what God's mercy meant for Israel, what God's mercy means for the future of Israel, and what God's mercy meant for so many people who didn't have what the Jews had. Because now these non-Jews get to be adopted into this family into this family of the special ones that was Israel. They get to be grafted in. They get to be part of it. And and Paul is trying to point this paint this picture for them, this image that it's because of his mercy that all of you in Rome, those who are Jews, those who are non-Jews because there's a lot of non-Jews in Rome, all of you have been able to be part of this family now. Because of his mercy, because of what he spared us from, you are now able to come into this gift, to change, to turn away, and to come into this gift, into this new family that you get to be a part of. And so this is the really, it's, it's, it's because of this idea and it's because God still wants to give mercy because there's still so many people that need to hear the word. And so he wants to keep giving mercy because he is a good God and he wants all to come to him. And so he wants to keep, keep providing mercy for all who want it, for all who want to come to know Christ and to make the decision to follow him too. And so the Jews are offered it because of Jesus. We are offered it because of Jesus, because of the one who came and took on the wrath, who took on the punishment while we were spared. 
So Jews and non-Jews are all offered it. And Paul is so excited about it. He is just so excited about his big, you know, little letter speech of what he's been talking about, about God's mercy and God's grace and the things that God has for all who want to come and follow him, that he just stops his letter and busts out this doxology. He begins to praise God because he just can't help it. He is writing this letter. You know, he is filled with the spirit to write to this Roman church. And he just is so happy and excited about what God, what God's mercy means for him and for the church in Rome and for all believers and for all of humanity that he wants to praise God. And so he says, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who knows the mind of the Lord? Who has done God the biggest favor that God should, you know, return a favor for him? Despite all of that, he is good. And from him and through him and for him are all things. And to him be the glory forever. Amen. And Paul is so excited. He loves it. And then we get to verses, verse 1 in chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the connection. Therefore, because of the mercies that I just described and detailed for you, what I talked about, this is why you're about to do this. Because of the provisions that God has made in the gospel for your salvation, for the salvation of the world from the very beginning, starting out his plan, this is why you should listen to what I'm about to say, about to write to you. Because at the time, people would read the letters out loud. And so this is why you should listen. And not only listen, but Paul is lovingly urging them. I urge you. He's urging them about what they should do. And this is what it is. The first one. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true proper worship. Some translations say this is truly worship. Others say this is your spiritual worship. Others say this is your worship. So when we hear this word of offering our bodies as living sacrifices, we can hear the word sacrifice and think of different stuff come into our head. Some of the stuff could be positive, like, you know, a positive sacrifice would be giving up um, our sleep, giving up our sleep in order to bring a sweet new life into the world. It's rough, but it's totally worth it. Other negative way of seeing a sacrifice would be Sacrificing your priorities and personal time because of being a people pleaser. There are different ways that we see sacrifice. And in the Greco-Roman world, that's what this time period is. The sacrificial practices were a norm. It was normal to do sacrifices. And it's normal for many cultures at this time, before this time. Even today, there's cultures that still do types of practices. The Jews who are listening and even the non-Jews who were listening understood what the sacrificial system was too. We see the tabernacle. We see the first temple. We see the way that they did their sacrifices. It, it was a habit. It was a routine. It was the center of their life. It was part of their way of living to sacrifice to God or other cultures to sacrifice to their gods. 
Now, they began to center their life during around this kind of thing. But the Jews didn't always have a temple. There was a certain point where the temple got destroyed. And because it was destroyed, they had to shift their way of life, their way of thinking. Their center was, let's go worship at the temple. But because they didn't have one, the sacrificial system kind of broke. And so they focused their life on the Torah, studying and prayer and liturgy and reading and just listening. That's what they focused their life on until the second temple was built. And then that was also destroyed. So they kept going back and forth. In other cultures, sacrifices were a way to kind of give to God, so that way you hopefully get something in return. Kind of, I'm going to give to you, and hopefully you know you're going to give to me, because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, you give to me. For God, it was something different. For the Jews, sacrifices were a routine, they were habits, they were rituals, but they knew that they meant something greater than who they were. They knew that the things that they were doing, the purpose and the reasons for their sacrifices was for something to talk about, to kind of reflect what their moment was in time, but also looking forward to what their hope was. Restoration of the world, redemption, salvation that God was promising them. And for the Romans in this time, they also understood it all too. They got it. They did sacrifices was also a normal part. You sacrifice to the Roman gods or you sacrifice to the emperors to prove your loyalty to them. It was a way to give honor. It was to receive benefits. It was to be thankful for benefits or it was to divert evil away from you, at least away from you. And then sometimes trying to give it to someone else. So sacrifices were seen very different in different ways, but... It was something that they understood. They knew what it meant to give a sacrifice. And the Roman officials saw it odd that Christians didn't do that. They thought it was weird that Christians, and they also saw it as a sign of disobedience and disloyalty to the empire because they weren't giving the sacrifices to the gods. They weren't proving their loyalty to the emperors. And they saw that as troublesome. They saw it as wrong. Because Christians, they broke bread together They talked about this Christ, the reason they broke bread, the Christ died for them. And so they were eating his body and drinking his blood. And they thought that was weird because, you know, of course, when you just hear it like that, it doesn't really make sense. But but it wasn't a sign of sacrifice. It was a sign of remembering what Christ had done for them. They didn't see them practicing the things that they did. They watched them break bread, and they watched them do this system, but it was a way to remember the greatest sacrifice, who was Jesus, who ended all sacrifices needed to please. They had the sacrifice, and they were following the one who had already died and resurrected from the dead. It wasn't a, I give you this bread and wine, Jesus, so you can give something to me. I'm remembering this so that you can do something for me too. This was Jesus doing something for us. This was, I have given my body over to you. I have shed my blood for you. Now do this in remembrance of me. That's what the Christians lived out. Sometimes on the daily, they met. So sacrifice wasn't a new idea. It was a normal thing to hear about. But this is what the difference is. It doesn't say, you know, like animals. Animals aren't really volunteering to come up on the stage and sacrifice themselves and die. God 
or Paul, sorry, Paul is saying, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer it. Present yourself. Provide yourself as a living sacrifice. Give yourself over to God. You are choosing to do this. Not just once, not just for now. You're choosing to give yourself over to God. He's urging this, that, that the way they do this is voluntarily. Because he's, what Paul says is offer yourself as a living sacrifice. A dead sacrifice isn't going to keep volunteering itself to, to be sacrificed. But he's saying, offer yourselves as in this is a one-time act because you will make a decision that I'm going to surrender my life for Jesus. But then it doesn't stop there. You're a living sacrifice. So that means every single day you are making a decision that will change your life. Every single day you are making a decision to be that living sacrifice. Every day you are making the decision of what you're going to choose. Is the Roman church going to choose to compromise their faith for the Roman Empire? Or are they going to choose to stay firm in who they know is the true God? So Paul speaks of this living sacrifice of making this time. And the question that the Roman church is to be asking themselves every day, if they're a living sacrifice, is, I woke up today, who am I, what master am I presenting my body to? What kingdom am I living my life for? What king am I going to serve today? What or who will prioritize my time, my heart, my plans, my mind? Is today the day that I want to give my all to Jesus again? Because yesterday was kind of rough. And I really like the way the message paraphrases this this part. Because I wanted to see how the message kind of said it. And it was kind of, I liked the way they said it. And this is how they the message translate paraphrases this. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around kind of life, and place it before God as an offering. It's waking up every day and saying, I'm giving this to you. I'm going to live, I'm going to be the living sacrifice you're calling me to be in the mundane tasks and in the difficult and rough emotional tasks too and it's not just any type of offering or sacrifice that god is asking for because in the old testament they had specifications on the kind of sacrifice you were supposed to give and god has one for christians too for the christian it was a holy and pleasing sacrifice a holy and pleasing life to god and it could seem difficult you know holy oh man i don't know i feel far from that But the Romans had what they needed to be a holy and pleasing sacrifice. They had it. They had it living in them. And as Christians, we all have what we need to be holy and pleasing to God, to be a holy and pleasing living sacrifice every day. And that is the spirit living within us. We have this indwelling of the spirit because after we become Christians, we have the spirit living in us in order to live the Christian life. In order to live out this higher standard of living. Because we can't do it without the spirit. 
That is why once we decide to follow Jesus, we are able because of the Spirit. We're empowered and we have the fruit. And is it hard? Yes. Paul got it too. Paul understood that it was hard. He knew that it was tough because he also struggled struggled within himself. And it's one of my one of my favorite verses in the Bible because of just how honest it is. So this is Romans chapter 7 verse 15 18, 18 through 19. It says, "I do not understand what I do." <laughs> Who can relate to that, right? For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And then he continues on in verse 17. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I just cannot carry it out. Hmm. So Paul gets it. But then Paul also gets, he kind of continues on after that. And he says, but because of the mercies of God, I don't have to stay trapped in this sin and this cycle that I don't know what I want to do, that I don't know why I do what I don't want to do, that I try to do the good thing, but then it kind of flips out and I end up doing the bad thing instead. He understands that because of the mercy of God, he doesn't have to be in that cycle. Because of the mercy of God... The church can ask themselves, am I going to choose to hold on to the self-control, to flee the temptation, to flee the sin, or give myself over to the moment's desires, to my moment's emotions that are kind of blinding me, or to my the moment's ambitions that are just guiding my way? Because when we offer ourselves, that is what true worship is. Paul is saying that after all that God has done, after his mercy, after what we've seen him done in the past, isn't the logical reason, the logical response be to constantly surrender ourselves to him to look ahead to what he will continue to do? Because there's something else that's grabbing for the attention. And Paul makes it clear You offer yourself, but you do not stay the same when you're offering yourself. To be a holy and pleasing sacrifice, it means that you don't stay the same way. After you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that you stay the same way as before you were a Christian. And number two, this is the second part we figure out. Because of God's mercies, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed. Verse 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The Christians in Rome had to make the decision daily. They had to make this decision about conforming or not conforming to the pattern. They had to make the decision because their faith was real And so many Romans, you know, tried to justify and help them out. Like, hey, I mean, I know you said you don't believe in the gods, so just sacrifice to them. But, you know, you don't believe it, so it's okay. You know it's fake. You know it's not honest. You know it's not genuine. Just sacrifice it and be done with it. Sacrifice to the emperor, be done with it. Especially if they worked for the government, for the empire. 
It was sacrificing to the emperor, sacrificing for the emperor, sacrificing to other gods. You don't really just believe it, you know, but you could do it. It's okay. You can eat it. It, it was, we prayed and blessed it for the gods, but it's okay. Just eat it. I mean, you don't believe in them anyway, right? Or claim loyalty. Just, you know, all, all who you are to the emperor. It doesn't matter. It's okay. You don't, I mean, you don't really mean it. This is something the Romans had, the Roman Christians had to make the decision every day. Am I going to compromise my faith or am I going to continue on the path of following the one true God despite what's happening? And those who became Christians needed to reevaluate all that they once knew and all that they once practiced for the gods, for the empire, whatever it was. They had to reevaluate what they were doing. They had to just rethink everything because they had to restart and reset their foundation on who God is, not on who they thought God was. So they needed to change. And this change... This transformation is a really interesting thing. Because just like offering your body, it's not just a one and done act. This transformation is a constant. This word, this verb, we've talked about it before with these special verbs in the Great Commission of go, you know, make disciples. So this is, this is kind of this, this deal of, of the same thing. It's a constant practice, but it's a command. Paul isn't just saying, you know, hopefully you transform, cause you know, that'd be great for you to, you know, be more like Jesus. No, he's saying you will be, you need to be transformed. I urge you that you need to be transformed. You need to change if you are living a life for Christ. But this isn't just an outward change. Don't just change what everyone can see, where everyone can see you. Everyone knows there's a, and, and because everyone can, can do those things. It's very simple to change your outward appearance. It's very simple to just, hopefully people see you the way you're supposed to, you want them to see you. There's something deeper to this transformation. For example, like when the military in basic training, it's not just to go and get your your really cool uniform, right? Not just to get a title that you're in a certain branch or that you have a certain job afterwards. It's not just for show. It's not just this outward appearance so you could go and get a discount somewhere. That's not what basic training is for or for entering into the military. There is something deeper. There is a physical, emotional, and mental adjustment that you go through in order to be able to be prepared for this new life of service that you're entering into. You're learning. You're transforming yourself into the person, into the, the service, military service person that you need to be in order to do your job. And with God, when we come into this new life, Paul is urging the Christians that because of God's mercies, because you're an offering every single day, there should be an outward, but there should be a, the physical. There should be an emotional and mental and heart adjustment going on inside of you too for this new life of service to the kingdom that you're about to live out. Because the evidence of renewing your mind the evidence that comes with renewing your mind, that is what's going to produce this motivation within you to want to please God, to want to have a behavior that pleases him too, thoughts and a heart that pleases him. Because your motivation can come from anywhere. 
Because we can all do good deeds. We can all do good stuff for others. We can all kind of go somewhere for other people. We can all come to church. We can all talk to people about Jesus and who Jesus is. We can all go to a Bible study. We can all volunteer for certain things. But what is behind our reason? What is the why? And that is the difference between these motivations. When we are living a life where we're daily, we're offering our, our bodies daily to God, all that we are to God, we are going through this inward transformation so that our why is evident outside and inside. And that's where the honesty comes in on our own. Because we're able to portray it for others but God can see the transformation, whether it's happening or not, within us. The difference is that the whole different conduct changes because the whole thinking is different in your mind. That is the renewing that's happening. The transformed Christian's motivation is not trying to look for a certain way or to, or to try to look a certain way or to make sure that they're doing the right thing daily, trying to, you know, read your Bible trying to make sure you're doing and praying, you know, doing the prayer that you need to pray, doing the devotional time that you need to do. It's not just doing the things because this outward transformation can be easy to, you know, to do. But your motivation changes. The standard of our motivation shifts from pleasing people to an interest in what the will of God is. That is the renewing that's happening. The transformation happening is not, I'm going to just try to look the way I need to look. It's how can I follow? How can I go after the will of God? What is the will of God for my life? That is the renewing of your mind. Your intent, your focus as a Christian is no longer what you want to do. It's what am I doing for God? That is where the transformation happens. The transformation begins. Because it is impossible to be transformed and be part of the world at the same time. It's impossible for God's will to be our number one and our ambitions to be number one too. It's impossible to have those two things, to have anything next to God. Because it is God who should be the priority in our lives, and everything filters down under him. The things that we have, the things that we do that take our time, that take our effort, that take our motivation, our ambition, our thoughts, the things that that really gather us into this, this box of what we want to do, we need to ask ourselves what they are. And ask ourselves if we're really prioritizing God or if we're, kind of prioritizing those other things instead because the way we live our lives also reflects what it is that we're prioritizing so this is what the end of verse 2 says then you will be able to test and approve what god's will is his good and pleasing will this will that as christians who are daily living a life of sacrificing our bodies giving our living sacrifice to god as christians who are being transformed and being renewed in our minds we have this will perfect pleasing and good will of god that we now have as our main focus of our life as our way of living the way we want the way we want to live for him
Paul lets us know the purpose of everything. The purpose of being the sacrifice, the purpose of being transformed and renewed is to have this intent to do God's will. To do what God is calling us to do. That is why we offer ourselves. That is why we go through a transformation. Because we can't understand, we can't prove and test the will of God without being transformed and renewed. We cannot be transformed and renewed if we're not giving ourselves over daily as living sacrifices. Then the Christians in Rome will be able to do this. Then us we will be able to discern his will, this amazing will that he has for us. This will that will mold our actions, our words, and our hearts for Christ. And there are two things that they'll see. To test and approve, to decide what the will of God is, and then to choose to act upon it. Because it's Sometimes we're able to choose, you know, we're able to, sometimes it's difficult to decide what the will of God is. Sometimes we have a hard time and sometimes we maybe think that we just are having a really rough time. But when we, we need to remember when we are trusting in God, giving ourselves over, being renewed, we are given the spirit who counsels us in the steps that we take to do God's will. We're given the spirit to empower us in order to act upon this will that God is showing. So at this time, Rome is not this, this, this place where they're, you know, they're, they're growing. The church is really, really growing. And Paul is giving this Christian Romans some homework. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's giving them this homework and this action of, of proving God's will. That they need to prove God's will and they need to offer themselves as daily sacrifice. They need to live a life of continual effort so that way they can continue on to figure out what the will of God is in their lives. And how it's possible to decide. It's possible to choose. It's possible to be a holy and a pleasing sacrifice to God. It's difficult, but it's possible. Because of who God is. Because of the mercies that Paul had talked about. Because of the mercies that we've experienced. Because of the mercies of God and his grace that he's given over to us because of what Jesus has done. We get to have that. Now, at this time, Rome is not a big hotspot for persecution yet. It's it's around the 50s right now. It's not a real big hotspot for for persecution because the Christians are just starting to grow. But the Christians Christians are kind of seen as troublesome, but more just odd troublesome. But they're growing. And Paul's words are going to take a whole nother level of meaning because in a few years they're going to be facing some very rough persecution because this church is growing strong. In a few years, they're going to face some really bad persecution, some death, some death of families. They're going to see some really bad things. And this is going to take Paul's words here of offering yourselves as a daily sacrifice and not compromising your faith of being transformed, of being renewed despite what everything's going on. But there's going to be another side that they're going to see. They're going to see an easy time at the market for trade because you do what everyone else does, so you, you're, you'll be able to connect and trade with everyone. You're going to be able to have your social life 
because you're not a Christian, so you can keep doing. You could go to the places you need to get to to have a social life, to have social status, to have life a little easier. Your political allegiance isn't going to be questioned and kind of worrisome for you and your family because you follow Jesus. There's going to be temptations for the Church of Rome to compromise their faith, and some do. Some do because they're faced with this compromise. Am I going to compromise my faith to have an easier life? Or am I going to follow Jesus, offer myself as a living sacrifice that might lead to death, to persecution, to difficulty? So there's a lot to see in just these two verses. There's a lot to see. And the command hasn't changed for us 21st century Christians either. The things that we sacrifice our bodies to just might look slightly different than what the Church of Rome might have faced. And it's important for us to think about that. Because every day, when we don't choose God, when we don't choose to give ourselves all that we are over to God, we're giving our all over to something else. Is what I think I love really what I love? Does my time reflect what I think I love? Does my time reflect that my priority is to know God more? Do my kids see that the priority I have with my relationship with God is important? Do my daily activities reflect that all that I do is for his honor? Do the words that I say on a daily basis reflect that I see others as the image of God? That I am able to go on and have the fruit of the Spirit in what I say and what I do every day? Do my words and actions reflect that I love Him? And do my words and actions go hand in hand? Do I step out to be holy To sacrifice things because I love God more, or am I just too comfortable where I'm at? When we honestly reflect on these questions, we also need to be careful. Because it's easy to get fixated on this idea that we just won't ever get there. It's easy to see the flaws that we have and just think, I just, I just can't do that, man. I just can't do this. I, I don't know if I can spend time doing that. I don't know if I could reorganize my schedule. Everything just seems too crazy and too hectic, but it's not impossible. When we want to live this life, when we honestly reflect and realize that maybe not all of our time, not all of our thoughts or our words, Not all of the things that we do genuinely reflect that we want a stronger relationship with God. That it doesn't really seem like what we love is actually what we love. Paul reminds us again. It's the same reason we're able to present ourselves as a holy and pleasing sacrifice. It's the same reason we're able to be transformed and have a renewed mind. It's why Paul begins all of this. It's what you... And I have. And it's what you who have not received Jesus yet also are given, are offered 
to be part of this family and begin this new way of life. It is because of the mercies of God. It is because of his mercy that it is possible. It is because of his mercy that we're able to live every day. We're able to go. We're able to come to Christ and say, today I just did not do well. But I know that tomorrow you are with me. I know that tomorrow your mercies are new every morning. And I know that you will be with me, your spirit empowering me to be able to offer myself as a holy and pleasing sacrifice to you, to transform my thoughts and my thinking every day, to be renewed so that my intent is to do your will alone. We get to have that. If the praise team can come up, Paul writes this moment of praise because he's just so excited and happy and amazed at what he received, at what everyone gets to receive because of this mercy that God is offering. And we opened up with it. So I thought a way of good way, a good way to end this is to kind of close in it too, to remember again of how good God is because of the gratitude that we have. Verse 33, 36 from chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So the altar is open. It's a time for us to just get to thank God. A time for us to reflect. A time for us to come and say, God, help me be honest with myself. God, help me prioritize you in this life. God, Help me be able to be an example for my kids so that that way they can see what it looks like to be transformed, what it looks like to offer myself to you every day. This is a time for us just to pray, for us to get to remember, for us to thank God for the mercies that he's given us. For us to thank God that we've made it through a relationship with him where we, maybe you have been offering yourself daily to Christ. And that is a gift of mercy that we get to celebrate. That is a gift of mercy that you get to share with others. As an example that it is possible by his spirit. So let's worship and pray together.